0: This weekend, obviously, we celebrate and commemorate what we know as Memorial Day, and you know, sadly for some, it seems that Memorial Day has kind of just become sort of the marker uh, for the beginning of summer, uh, and it's kind of the time that we uh, tend to mark uh, getting excited about enjoying the warm weather or enjoying the sun a little bit more, and sunbathing and swimming and pools and going to the beach and so forth, and it's just kind of the time we mark, okay, the time for more recreation and holiday and vacation time type of thing. But I just want to say by way of reminder this morning, the holiday was originally established uh, as a somber reflection, Uh, that the original institution of that holiday was when we would take time to remember and appreciate those who sacrificed their lives, Uh, for us, willing to even die uh, in battle for us. And it was an occasion where we originally gratefully considered uh, why we possess the freedoms that we still do to a very great degree, uh, even in our own country here, because people understood uh, the value as well as the importance of things like life and liberty and justice and morality, and were even willing to sacrifice and even more than that, die for, providing as well as protecting such uh, for us as a nation. Though I'm honestly not a real big video person uh, in the church this morning, in a moment I actually like to show a brief video in relation to Memorial Day. And look, the Bible tells us, Paul writes that the church, he says, is the pillar and the ground of truth, which means that the local church is intended as a function, one of its many functions, to teach truth and also to uphold truth in a society and in a culture for the sake of the health and morality being preserved in a culture. And I hope this video uh, is able to serve in a small way as it lends itself to what we're going to study in God's word this morning to inform with a little bit of historical truth for us once again as God's people. So why don't we watch the video at this time?
1: In America's cities and towns today, flags will be placed on graves and cemeteries. Public officials will speak of the sacrifice and the valor of those whose memory we honor. I have new no illusions about what little I can add now to the silent testimony of those who gave their lives willingly for their country. Words are even more feeble on this Memorial Day. For the sight before us is that of a strong and good nation that stands in silence and remembers those who were loved and who, in return, loved their countrymen enough to die for them. Yet we must try to honor them, not for their sakes alone, but for our own. And if words cannot repay the debt we owe these men, surely with our actions we must strive to keep faith with them and with a vision that led them to battle and a final sacrifice. Our first obligation to them and ourselves is plain enough. The United States and the freedom for which it stands, the freedom for which they died, must endure and prosper. Their lives remind us that freedom is not bought cheaply. It has a cost. It imposes a burden. And just as they whom we commemorate were willing to sacrifice, so too must we, in a less final, less heroic way, be willing to give of ourselves. Each died for a cause he considered more important than his own life. Well, they didn't volunteer to die. They volunteered to defend values for which men have always been willing to die if need be, the values which make up what we call civilization. And how they must have wished in all the ugliness that war brings, that no other generation of young men to follow would have to undergo that same experience. As we honor their memory today, let us pledge that their lives, their sacrifices, their valor shall be justified and remembered for as long as God gives life to this nation. And let us also pledge to do our utmost to carry out what must have been their wish that no other generation of young men will ever have to share their experiences and repeat their sacrifice. Earlier today, with the music that, that we have heard and that of our national anthem, I can't claim to know the words of all the national anthems in the world, but I don't know of any other that ends with a question and a challenge, as ours does. Does that flag still wave, or the land of the free and the home of the brave? That is what we must remember.
0: You know, on Sunday mornings here, we have been journeying through the book of 1 Corinthians together, and we will be back there once again next Sunday, making our way through chapter 15 where we left off. But in light of the holiday and as I was preparing this week, I just continued to sense the Lord was putting something specific on my heart this morning, just as an encouragement uh, for us as the Lord's people. In light of these days, I, I really believe that we are certainly facing certain battles, Uh, morally, uh, and spiritually. In fact, I would go so far to say my own personal conviction, I feel like that a war uh, has been declared uh, against everything that is moral and that which is righteous and that which is certainly biblical. And I feel like that there is continuous attacks being launched against values. And I want to just say I only expect that that's going to grow worse. I don't think that the war is going to cease. I don't think that the battles are going to diminish. I only expect that to to increase as the last days continue to progress. Uh, And as the people of God, we have to be willing, I believe, to exercise a degree of courage and a degree of dedication and commitment and sacrifice to take a stand for what is righteous and what is good and what's biblical And to fight the good fight against the powers of darkness and to continue to defend what is good and godly, even as others have done in prior generations to sort of embrace our call of duty now uh, and to do what we can in our time period. So in light of that this morning, I'd like to draw your attention, if you could turn with me your Bibles, to 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and just want to draw your attention to 2 verses here as i said in connection to what's on my heart second timothy 2 verses 3 and 4 and if you're turned there to second timothy chapter 2 as we do would you stand with me out of respect for the word of god as i read this morning's scripture second timothy 2 verse 3 paul says to young timothy you therefore must endure hardship As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has enlisted him as a soldier. And Father, we just humbly ask for the grace of God right now as we open the Word of God once again. Lord, as we find ourselves standing here in this room this morning, Lord, to some degree, we want to see ourselves standing before you as our commanding officer, ready to receive our marching orders, Lord, that you would speak to us by your spirit. Take away that which would distract and hinder, Lord. We even pray that the, the enemy of our souls would not rob anything that you want to help us to hear this morning by the voice of your spirit. We just pray you would prepare our hearts and that every reason why your spirit inspired and gave us this portion of the word of God, we would receive that and that your spirit would minister it to us in a personal way today. Bless your word. And we ask this together expectantly in Jesus name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, the video that we just watched together this morning, I think, reminds us how utterly amazing and really tremendously inspiring it is to consider what a soldier is willing to do, not only in suffering, but even more than that, the great sacrifice of themselves in order to serve a higher cause and to preserve that which they know and believe is best for others. And what's valuable for those that they care about. And look, if a soldier sees value in what they serve for, and they are therefore motivated to make the sacrifices that they are willing to make for really what ultimately are just temporal causes. And I certainly believe they are worthwhile causes nonetheless But at the end of the day, they are national values and earthly causes, and they are temporal things. But if a soldier is willing to put forth that degree of dedication and commitment and make that kind of personal sacrifice for temporal earthly causes, how much more ought you and I, as children of God, to be willing to exercise dedication and commitment and sacrifice in the same manner for that which is eternal? for that which has much higher value and much greater worth at the end of the day. And no doubt, I think that's perhaps the purpose why the Holy Spirit gave to us even these verses here in front of us this morning in this passage, to inspire among us as the people of God, faithfulness to the cause of Christ, courage and commitment in following our, if you would, spiritual commander the Lord Jesus Christ as he leads us through our own battles as we serve not national ideals but ultimately eternal purposes for the kingdom of God itself and human souls and that we might do so with greater conviction exercising courage and dedication and a willingness to put forth loyalty and devotion and even sacrifice Of our own lives. Again, the background of 2 Timothy, the letter as a whole, Paul is writing his final words to young Timothy. Uh, These are really Paul's dying words given by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, because this is, we believe, the last letter Paul penned before he dies. And look, someone's dying words, I think we'd all agree, are very valuable. They're very important. Uh, I have been around the bedside of loved ones while they're getting further ill and getting ready to pass Uh, you have been with others i've sat with many families more times than i'd like to admit as they're waiting for their loved one to pass and when somebody expresses some of their dying words that's when the important stuff comes out right that's some really valuable stuff well these are paul's dying words in this letter second timothy it's one of the reasons i've always loved it so much If you look just over in chapter four of this same book, look what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, verse six there. He says, for I'm already being poured out, he says, as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So in this letter, Paul is doing all that he can to invest his spiritual insight, his heart spiritually, into one young man, Timothy. And I always love the fact that here Paul is writing his last letter, and it's not a letter to a large group of people like a church. It's Paul's encouragement, Paul's insight, Paul's heart, and he's investing it into just one man, into one person, the value of an individual, investing in this younger man, knowing that he's about to pass off the scene and Timothy would take up the baton for his next generation. And I almost see Paul here kind of like an older military captain. Maybe he's retired from duty or at the end of his time of service, and he's seen his fair share of warfare, and he's done his time in the combat zone, and he's experienced and battle-hardened and tested and has served faithfully, and now he kind of turns to prepare a future younger officer wanting him to excel in helping the troops, if you would, to fight the next Series of battles, and Paul has described in this letter at the first part of it how he's faced his own fair share of challenges and how it hasn't been easy for him to be faithful to serve the Lord, yet, how he was willing to endure hardship himself and do whatever it required to remain dedicated to Christ. At the time of Paul's writing of this, he's sitting in prison awaiting his death sentence, was an obvious indication. Paul was willing to suffer some things himself, and he's speaking from experience. In the prior section of this letter, Paul had began challenging Timothy to hold the line himself now. And he began to tell Timothy things like, Timothy, listen, you hold fast to what's good. Timothy, I've done it, but now it's your turn. You need to hold fast what's good and don't let anyone rob from you that which is good and godly and righteous. You hold the line now, son. And he was challenging Timothy to be faithful in his time period. Not only to be faithful himself, but really to inspire by the grace of God, strengthening him, to inspire faithfulness in all the other troops around him. That's what Paul's just declared in verse two, prior to what we're looking at this morning in second Timothy two, verse three, he's encouraged Timothy to inspire faithfulness among others around him. Now it's at this point, Paul begins to give Timothy pictures of faithfulness as he goes on in second Timothy chapter two, he says, Timothy, you be faithful, inspire others to be faithful. And then he says, let me paint some pictures for you of what faithfulness looks like as examples to follow, where he then gives us our verses this morning, verse 3 of chapter 2. He says, Timothy, you therefore now must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare, he says, entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So Paul, knowing Timothy, could totally relate and envision this very cultural uh, image of a Roman soldier, a battle-hardened, dedicated Roman soldier that faced combat. He uses now sort of this military illustration to portray faithfulness, that he can both warn Timothy as well as inspire commitment in Timothy's life. And when you look throughout the New Testament, the life of a Christian— and by that, I mean one who has recognized their own sinfulness and embraced Jesus Christ as the savior for their sins and the hope of eternal life, and has also chosen to surrender to follow Jesus as Lord over their life. The life of a Christian is pictured by many different metaphors in the New Testament, each one kind of adding a little bit more color to the picture. We've seen some of them in our study in First Corinthians on Sundays here, for example, the Christian is pictured metaphorically as a servant. That is one who's willing with you know, courage and dedication and a degree of whatever it takes to fulfill the wishes of their master and realizing my purpose is to serve a master and to accomplish the duties of whatever would please my master. The, the New Testament also pictures Christians at times we saw in Corinthians as an athlete. That is someone who's willing to have discipline over their own life and exercise a degree of dedication to their athletic cause because they want to put forth their best effort to achieve victory and to receive the reward of victory. The Christians also pictured metaphorically as a builder and a farmer, that is those who are willing to put in long hours and do what it takes, no matter what the weariness involves, to produce something that's good for others. And to supply and to build that which is good and beneficial for others around them. And here now as we come to verse 3, we see another metaphor used in the New Testament for the Christian. And Paul here uses this metaphor of being a soldier. Being a soldier engaged in war or battle. Two times he uses the term in verse 3 and 4, referring to the Christian as a soldier. And he speaks of the soldier enduring hardship because they're engaged in warfare, in battles. Now, to me, that draws a first observation, which I think God wants us to know, and that is this, is that we should recognize that spiritual warfare is real. That we would recognize that spiritual warfare is real and that it is actively happening all the time. It started when the devil, the enemy of our soul, launched his first campaign to rebel against the throne of God. And that rebellion and that battle spiritually will continue in the spiritual realm all the way out and through to the end of the age. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 12, listen, then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan Who leads the whole world astray was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. The Bible wants us to stay conscious and aware of the fact that there is a very real kingdom of light and love and life that God offers to us through his Son Jesus Christ. But there is also simultaneously a very real kingdom of darkness where the devil and his diabolical forces are in rebellion against God. And this is the source of this spiritual warfare that is happening all the time. And we must, I emphasize must, realize this reality. We must realize this reality that spiritual warfare is real. Again, if I can illustrate from a military perspective, if a person tries to ignore the reality that a war is happening for whatever reason, whether they're a pacifist and they don't believe in war or whatever. If a person tries to ignore the reality, no, we are not at war. We're not at war. We're not at war. Well, they can try and dismiss that reality, but that's going to do nothing good for them. It's just going to make them more vulnerable to attack. It's going to make them give up more territory and lose ground to their enemy, and it's going to make them more susceptible to just being harmed and conquered by an enemy who wants nothing but the worst for them. So the Bible says here, both to Timothy and to all of us as Christians, notice that we are to function as soldiers engaged in warfare. Ephesians 6 says this to us. It says, put on the full armor of God that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes or strategies, take your stand. For our struggle or fight, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, that when the day of evil comes, the attack, the assaults, that you may be able to stand your ground against the enemy. And after you have done everything To stand in the Bible, the spiritual life is often depicted as a battleground where there is a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness, where certainly Jesus, thanks be to God, has overcome and conquered in the battle. However, though that is true, yet the devil and his forces are always trying to stir up rebellion against the throne of God. And the kingdom of God and always seeking to assault and to attack. And the devil for all the ages has aggressively been working to advance his ideologies of evil and to do what he can in aggressive manners to try and launch attacks against humanity and to oppose freedom in Christ to take away from people everything good and beneficial that God's intended for us as our creator. And we have a very real enemy who is seeking to ruin and destroy human souls. Jesus himself said of the devil that he is the father of lies and that when he lies, he's speaking his native language. So what is one of the chief MOs, the methods of operation of attack and assault of the devil among humanity? It is to spread false information. It is to lie and to deceive humanity to get them to believe things that are not right, to get them to believe things that are contradictory to everything that is good and healthy and moral and godly, that a loving creator intends for them. And one of his chief efforts is to propagate disinformation and lies to try and get people to believe lies and live in lies that ruin souls, that wreck marriages, that destroy families, and that ruin cultures. And we must be conscious of that reality. Jesus said that the devil wants to rob, kill, and destroy That's his intention. It's very aggressive. He wants to rob everyone of what is good and healthy for their life. He wants to destroy everything that God intends to be beneficial to our lives. And he wants to kill everything that is good in any way that he can. And look, it's important for us to be alert to this because as Paul says here in Ephesians 6, we must realize we're not wrestling, fighting against flesh and blood really in the fullest sense certainly in the temporal realm in the in the physical fleshly realm we experience the opposition but the bible is saying to us listen but you need to understand your true enemy is not flesh and blood your true enemy is the spiritual agenda that is in the unseen realm that is propagating things to happen in the physical and temporal realm It is the lies of the devil and the deceitfulness of his demons putting ideas in people's minds and empowering the efforts of human forces that are trying to advance evil and destructive and ruinous causes and to realize this is a spiritual battle that is happening in an unseen realm and that the true enemy, and if you're going to succeed in a battle, you need to know your enemy, that the true enemy is a spiritual force of wickedness that is advancing the things that we deal with in the earthly realm. And look, when we decided to become servants of King Jesus, Paul says here to Timothy and to you and I in verse four, he says, we were enlisted. We were enlisted into this spiritual battle like a soldier to now serve our Lord. And so there's gonna be an ongoing series of battles and attacks from evil forces. And we must learn to stand our ground against the tide of evil, trying to overthrow that which is of God and to hold our ground for what's right. And we have to be armed spiritually and alert to this very reality to resist a campaign of evil that's going on. And even more than that, to do our part to advance the cause of our king and to take territory and to claim ground for that which is of light and love and life that our king wants to offer to others Even as he has to us and as believers who are now following our Lord Jesus, we should be the most grateful of all that we have been freed from the tyrannical rule of an evil spiritual king that we were once subjects of and that we have been set free from that. And we have now been called to engage in the spiritual war waged for human souls and fulfill the duty of our king as good soldiers for Jesus And again, it's pretty obvious who our commanding officer is. It's the Lord. And we're his soldiers now in the battlefield. And again, we see this metaphor of a soldier, as I said, used multiple times. Philippians 2, Paul calls Epaphroditus, my fellow soldier. He saw him as a comrade in battle. He said to Philemon, tell Archippus, our fellow soldier. And Paul now here speaking to Timothy As one operating, he says, Timothy, you need to operate like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That is, we fight for the important cause of Jesus Christ. We're not just soldiers. We're soldiers, and we know whose cause we're fighting for. It's for the cause of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is fighting in this battle together with us. You know, I picture Jesus like this wise, faithful general who leads his troops out into the battle. And who supplies us everything we need. And who is there with us fighting in the battle. And notice Paul exhorts Timothy here not just to function as a soldier. But if you look with me in verse 3, what does Paul say? He says, Timothy, you must, he says, be, look at that word, he says, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. A good soldier. Look, I think it's fair to say, uh, as Christians, metaphorically, the Bible sees us all as soldiers of Jesus Christ. The question to ask is, are we a good soldier of Jesus Christ? We're soldiers, but are we good soldiers? I mean, consider again from a military perspective, even on battlefields, you have many out there who are soldiers, right? They've received all the same resources and equipment as all the others. They all have been told their role and their responsibility. Yet the highest ideal for any soldier is to... For their own benefit personally, as well as for all their comrades around them, as well as for their commanding officer as an enlisted soldier to say, I'm going to be a good soldier. I'm not just going to be a soldier. I want to be a good soldier, the best possible soldier I can be. You know, I looked up that term good there in the original language, and it's interesting to take note of that in the Greek, they actually have two different terms that are translated good into the English. One Greek term speaks of that which is just beneficial and useful. The other Greek term speaks of not only good in the sense of being beneficial and useful, but also being beautiful in appearance or attractive. That second term is the one that Paul uses here. Not just being beneficial and useful, but also being beneficial and useful, but at the same time also being attractive and appealing. And to me, this is a very beautiful thing that's taking place here. Because see, think again, when a soldier is a good soldier in the natural sense, they can't be a soldier who's hiding in the foxhole, right? A good soldier cannot be hiding in a foxhole for self-preservation. Oh, if I go out there, something may happen to me. That's scary. A good soldier can't do that, right? A good soldier recognizes I exist for a higher cause than myself. A good soldier can't be looking for ease. A good soldier is not going to be a soldier who's noncommittal and does just enough to just get by. A good soldier is going to be one who highly believes in their cause to such a degree that they say, I will sacrifice, I will suffer, I will do whatever it takes to fulfill the duties that have been entrusted to me because I serve a very important cause. And they'll be very motivated to do that. That's what a good soldier will do. They'll be useful in battle and accomplishing things for the sake of their cause. But not only are they good in the sense of being useful and beneficial, but a good soldier will also operate in a way where they're what? They're they're therefore a really good example, a beautiful, appealing example that inspires all the rest of the soldiers, right? That's a really good soldier. They're not just useful and beneficial, but they actually inspire all the other soldiers to rise up around them, to rally together and to follow their really good example of courage and commitment and dedication. And they inspire other troops to want to be good soldiers as well. And Paul tells Timothy here among the Lord's soldiers, Timothy, we don't only need soldiers that are good in the sense that they're effective and they're useful and they're beneficial but he says Timothy we also need soldiers that do it to such a degree that they inspire all the other troops around them that they're such good soldiers that they're not just useful and effective but they're also beautifully inspiring right where where, where the other soldiers in the cause of Christ look around them and they're inspired to want to be good soldiers too they're inspired to want to serve the commander in chief Jesus And it inspires the rest of the troops. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, he said, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. He then later told Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, he also told him, Timothy, you be an example in your conduct to other believers. So he said, Timothy, I'm not only charging you to fight, he says, but I'm telling you, fight in such a way that you become an example that you inspire all the rest of the troops. That others around you are inspired to want to step forward and serve with a great degree of determination as well. And you know, I think a good thing to ask ourselves this morning as we take inventory from time to time. You know, in the military, at times they line up and they get inspected by their commanding officer. Well, if our commanding officer Jesus lined us up and if we were being inspected and evaluated by our commander, the Lord Jesus Christ, what kind of soldier would we be? what would we be in the inspection line? Would we be someone who he's greatly pleased with and who he could even point out and say, why can't the rest of you be like this guy? Why can't you be like this guy? I mean, would Jesus, if he evaluated us and, and took a, a, a view of our spiritual life, what would he say of us? Again, can I remind you, we are in a spiritual and a moral war in these days and, and we must be willing to embrace our call of duty. As soldiers for the Lord, are you living out your Christian walk like the world is a playground? Or are you living out your Christian walk understanding the world is legitimately, biblically, a spiritual battleground? And we got to stay alert to this and ask ourselves from time to time, how are you living spiritually? And is the way that you're living spiritually not only pleasing to your commanding officer, but is it inspiring other Christians around you? Is it inspiring other Christians around you to become more passionate in their commitment to Christ? Look, that's what good soldiers do, right? That's what good soldiers do. And that's what good spiritual soldiers do as well. We may never serve in literal military combat, but I'll tell you something. We have a battle that's worth fighting for. We have a cause that's worth soldiering on for. And being a good soldier for and a higher cause, honestly, to sacrifice for something that's worth something of even much higher value than even a typical natural soldier. So I think a question to ask ourselves is this, what then are some of the characteristics of a good soldier, right? He says, Timothy, be a good soldier. Well, what are some of the characteristics of a good soldier? I think you could ponder and meditate and find all types of different attributes of a good soldier. And Certainly encourage you even to do that, perhaps to ponder some of those things, but a few are at least identified even in our verses here that I think we can glean from and try and employ in our lives. One thing that's very evident in verse three of what a good soldier involves is he says, Timothy, I want you to be a good soldier. And if you're going to be a good soldier, he says, verse three, you must endure hardship. You must endure hardship. Again, in a war, in a combat zone, Conditions are not easy for soldiers, right? I mean, conditions are difficult. They're challenging. They're under great degrees of stress. Uh, They're engaged in in things that are going to cause them to face resistance. There's a great degree of suffering that's involved for a soldier in a combat zone. There are personal sacrifices that have to be made. Soldiers at times have to deal with weariness and fulfilling their duties faithfully. They experience wounds from time to time. They may be hurting physically or even struggling emotionally because of things they're being subjected to, missing loved ones or seeing things around them that are painful and difficult. They're under great stress. There's efforts to resist. And and Paul's wanting Timothy, and I believe all of us to understand. He says, Timothy, listen, you must recognize if you're gonna be a soldier for Christ, you have to realize, Timothy, first of all, hardship, it's a part of the Christian life. Hardship's a part of the Christian life, son. He's saying our battlefield is this present world system. First John says this whole world system lies under the sway of the wicked one. The idea is this whole world system that we're all stuck living in until Jesus gets us out of here, it's under the direct influence of the evil one, guiding and directing. And because of that, we have to realize as followers of Jesus in a fallen world system... Life's not always going to be easy. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be hardships, sickness, suffering, challenges. And then add on top of that with a spiritual enemy, we are going to face opposition as we seek to honor God and obey the scriptures and please Jesus. Jesus said this in John 15. He said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you if you were one of its own, if you belong to it, but you no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. Therefore, it now hates you. Remember, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I bet that's highlighted in everyone's Bible. That doesn't make it in Bible promise books, right? Jesus says, listen, listen, You must understand as a Christian, because you represent me and live for me and serve me, you must understand as a Christian, simply because of the fact that you will choose to be a follower of Jesus and that you want to please the Lord and live according to the word of God. He said, people will have a degree of animosity towards you simply for that fact. People will resent you and despise you because of the light that you represent that's shining into the darkness, and they don't like it. And so, therefore, there will be a degree of hatred towards you. And Jesus says this is an important reality. It brings a degree of, at times, even hardship and another level of difficulty just to walk with Jesus. I think, sadly, one of the the largest misconceptions that exists in American Christianity is that it's to be a life of ease. And everything should be easy and free from all struggle. I mean, this is America. We're entitled to everything and you deserve this and life should be easy. And if anything is hard or difficult or challenges or struggles or hardships or whatever, we begin to think something's wrong. Why are things hard? Why am I going through hardships, difficulties? Because this is earth. This is earth. That's why you want to go to heaven. (laughs) Right? But the wonderful thing, that old adage, that for the Christian, this is the most hell that you're ever going to experience. But life is hard. And add on top of that, the spiritual opposition of an enemy of your soul The Bible gives a real biblical picture of Christian life. The biblical picture of Christian life, Paul says, Philippians 1, he says, it's been appointed for you not only to believe upon Jesus, but also to suffer for his sake. Again, that's not in the Bible promise books, but it's Bible promise. 2 Timothy 3, Paul says in the same letter in chapter 3, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, mistreatment for being godly in Christ Jesus. Well, I don't get mistreated much for my faith. Well, he says all who live godly in Christ Jesus. So you can be a Christian, just kind of hide away in your foxhole and do everything you can and retreat from the battle line and just give up territory all the time. Or you can press forward in the cause of Christ and hold your ground and be committed as a soldier on the battlefield. And you're gonna get a little resistance, whether it's through friends or family or coworkers or just the world in general. He says this is a part of being willing. And that's why Jesus, did he not? Jesus said that we should count the cost before choosing to become a disciple. Jesus didn't promise ease. Jesus promised forgiveness of sins, escape from hell, and denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus in a world that doesn't want to do that. So Jesus says we should count the cost. And again, hardship is a part of the Christian life. It's important to accept that reality. But what does he say? Yes, hardship's going to happen. What does he say? Verse three, look at it. He says, Timothy, but you must endure hardship. Hardship's a reality. But Timothy, a good soldier endures through hardship. That is perseverance, endurance to remain faithful to the Lord at all costs. I can hear Paul's heart here as an older, again, kind of general in the spiritual army saying, Timothy, look, I've done my share. I wouldn't tell you to do something I haven't done, son. I faced my degree of hardship. And Paul did, when you look at his life, to be faithful. He endured some difficult things. And now he invites Timothy to embrace the call with him. He says, now, Timothy, he says, verse three, now you must, it's your turn, it's your generation. Now you must endure hardship as well, he says, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And notice, it's not an optional thing. He says, must, must. If you're gonna be a good soldier, you must exert perseverance. You must exercise endurance even when it's not easy. Again, if you think of a soldier on a battlefield, I mean, I have great respect for them. I certainly have never been on a battlefield, but a soldier in combat can't quit every time they feel tired or their feet are sore from their boots. Or I, you know, I scraped my knee getting out of the foxhole yesterday, Sarge. Can I stay home today? I didn't sleep real good last night. I'm gonna have to no, I just I'm gonna have to skip today's battle. I didn't I didn't get very good rest. Soldier can't do that. I mean, soldiers at times are dealing with difficulty and they gotta press on in the midst of opposition. There are times when soldiers probably feel absolutely horrible. They may be physically wounded. They're in pain, but they, they got to press through the pain even. And why do they do that? Because they realize there is a higher cause than my own personal pleasure, fulfillment, comfort, convenience. I serve a higher cause. Yes, it hurts, but I serve a higher cause, so I will press through the difficulty because I serve a higher cause. They may be struggling at times, no doubt, emotionally. Imagine, separated from their families, things they're seeing and witnessing, but they can't say, I feel really depressed. I just, I, I'm just so bummed out. I just... Can somebody... I don't know. I feel so bummed out. I just, I can't function anymore. No, soldiers. Yes, I feel bummed out, but I can't quit just because I feel bummed out. I can't just sit here in the foxhole when others are out there on the battlefield. I serve a higher cause. It doesn't matter how I feel. Yes, I feel like this, but I need to follow through no matter how I feel. I need to be faithful no matter what I'm going through. Look, I'm not diminishing in any way a degree of, again, as I just said a moment ago, that life's hard sometimes. We may be suffering physically. You know, soldiers are wounded physically. They're dealing with emotional difficulties. But the thing that's admirable is they press through it, right? They endure. They show perseverance. They keep going because of a greater cause and knowing there are others depending upon me. It's not just about me. There are other comrades that are depending upon me, and I have a king that I'm serving that I'm willing to do a whole lot for because he's a good king and he's given me a pretty good life. And so therefore I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be determined to press forward. And Paul's saying here, Timothy, this same thing applies for us spiritually. He says, we must endure hardship as good soldiers of Jesus Christ that is persevering without giving up at times as Christians, pressing on even when it's not easy from time to time, not surrendering easily to sin or compromising quickly to temptation or backing down when it's not easy to be a Christian or when it's not convenient to serve the Lord. We have to be willing to endure when it pertains to at times that it's hard to serve the Lord and keep going even when it's hard to walk with Jesus. And there are times, are there not, when it's hard to walk with Jesus. When it's hard to keep being faithful to Jesus, whether it's circumstantial challenges or things we're going through in life, right? Maybe it's a season where it's just a little bit harder to keep following the Lord, to keep reading the word of God and praying and being faithful and, and doing the things of the Lord. But we've got to work through that difficulty with endurance and persevere. And we've got to press on. And we've got to be willing to, to, to draw, if you would, upon some determination that I must keep persevering. I've got to keep going forward. And again, folks, I know I'm not telling you something to tell you that we live in a time when morality and marriage and family values and traditional biblical truths are being fiercely attacked in our generation. They are being fiercely attacked. And the freedoms that we once enjoyed in our country to worship God and to speak freely without being canceled or censored, this is being attacked in our generation. And we can either bury our heads in the sand or we can choose to serve Jesus with some determination, if I could use the term, with a little bit of spiritual grit, a little bit of backbone spiritually. I'm not saying we should be aggressive or obnoxious, but what I am saying is people who are promoting evil, filthy, disgusting, ruinous ideas and agendas are very bold in what they want to believe. So why should we not be very bold in what God says is right and is healthy and helpful and loving and beneficial for people's lives and souls and families and marriages and people being raised from a younger generation? Well, why should we not? Why should we not? Be willing to hold the line and be good soldiers who endure through those types of challenges. Look, take an honest assessment. Are you willing to follow Jesus even when it's not convenient? Because sometimes it is not going to be convenient. Sometimes it's not going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to be a little more exhausting and tiring. But again, the soldier can't just say, oh, it's just a really hard time on the battlefield. Just a hard. This is a tough battle, right? It's a battle. But there's a higher cause. So we don't just stay faithful to Jesus when it's easy to stay faithful to Jesus. We choose to always remain faithful to Jesus because we're fighting a worthy cause. And Paul tells us as well, another aspect of being a good soldier of Jesus Christ in verse four, he says another aspect of a good soldier is he says no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him, notice who's enlisted him As a soldier. So again, a good soldier remains faithfully committed to their cause above all other causes. Are there other causes out there? Absolutely. But a good soldier remains committed to their cause on the battlefield because they understand I am a soldier. I have given my life to my duty and to this commanding officer. And so therefore, whatever is required of me from my commanding officer, that is my foremost priority. And I won't allow myself to get entangled with other things and not be available to answer my call of duty to obey what my commander wants. And the picture here, of course, is a soldier on the battlefield. A soldier, again, can't get deeply involved in civilian affairs, right? Because their availability is crucial to their commanding officer. They realize I have been enlisted. My life doesn't belong to me anymore. My life is not my own to do what I want with it. A soldier can't live like most other people. They don't have that option if they're going to be a good soldier. They have to realize my life belongs to a cause and to someone else who commands me to what. I am supposed to do so they can't be bogged down or overcommitted. He says here in everyday civilian affairs, they have to be readily available. And he's applying this from a spiritual perspective. He says, Timothy, this applies to us like soldiers for the Lord. He says, we can't become, if we're engaged in warfare, notice entangled with the affairs of this earthly life. Look, we have to be careful as Christians, if we're going to be good soldiers, not to become overly entangled in worldly affairs. And, and hear me out here. I am not saying there's anything wrong with enjoying life and simple pleasures. Oh, Pastor Tony said we can't even have a barbecue this weekend. I mean, we should be doing push-ups for Jesus. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Paul, in the very letter prior to this, in chapter 6, says God gives us richly all things to enjoy. Uh, there's nothing wrong with enjoying life and being involved in worldly affairs and being responsible and taking care of things. If we were to be very frank, the reality is the problem is, is we tend to get over-entangled in earthly affairs. That's the term. Don't let yourself become overly entangled in earthly temporal affairs of this life. you got to keep that self in check in regards to that. And that's often the problem that happens and something I believe the devil uses to try and get us in a sense, unaffective, you know, worldly attachments and obligations, they start to hinder us. They start to slow us down. They start to hold us back maybe from the best that God wants from our life. And we're not freed up to walk with Jesus the way we could be walking with Jesus. We're not freed up to serve Jesus in the way we should be serving Jesus because we're overly entangled in just temporal worldly everyday affairs. Nothing wrong with participating in everyday worldly affairs, the Bible is just saying, but don't get entangled. Don't let yourself get encumbered and hindered where you're struggling with what you ha- because well, you're chasing this. Or we're, we're off pursuing that. Or, or we're, we're trying to now obtain this. And then once you obtain all that, now you've got to maintain this and maintain this and maintain this and maintain this. And all of a sudden, you're all entangled. And it begins to rob your spiritual fruitfulness and effectiveness to be a good soldier Look, let me just say I've been doing this from a senior pastor perspective for over two decades now, and I can tell you that's that's sadly what i I observe happens from time to time it's something I need to keep my heart in check with and I see it happen i mean I, I've watched many times over the years where you see an individual or a family, and all of a sudden you know they begin to sort of shrink back spiritually, they're not around you know where are they at and the, and, and all of a sudden, well, you know, we got this boat. And, I you know, all the weekends and the kids and they love the jet ski and this and that or, you know, or we're, you know, we're traveling here. Well, you know, we got all these air miles so we're going here and doing that. And, and then Bobby plays soccer three nights a week and Susie, she's you know, nothing. Those things aren't inherently wrong in and of themselves. Those things are not inherently wrong, but they can become entanglements. And, and what did Jesus say? Jesus said that the cares of this life can begin to choke out spiritual fruitfulness. And that's what we have to be careful of. You know, we get ourselves entangled and therefore we're not available to the fullness of the spiritual life that we really could be living for the Lord. You know, this morning, ask yourself in all sincerity, is it possible you become overly entangled in the affairs of this life to where it's starting to hinder to some degree your spiritual life? Keep yourself in check with that. Pay attention. Sometimes you got to free yourself up again to give yourself more fully to living for Jesus. That's what's really going to matter, and that's what's most crucial. Don't be someone who fits Jesus into your life where it's convenient. D- don't, don't live with that mistake of, you know, well, well, we have this, 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 and then when it's convenient, we fit Jesus in. When it's convenient, we, we make time for Jesus. No, build your life on Jesus and just let the other things find their place after you build your life on Jesus. You'll never regret living that way. Note Paul says to us here in conclusion, there's a reason a soldier stays freed up. He says, why, verse four, so that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier, the soldier stays freed up because he realizes my life is not my own. It's about pleasing whatever my commanding officer wants. I was enlisted. I've been given a duty. I have a cause to serve, and I must please my commanding officer. And, and spiritually, the same applies. Paul says we have a much higher cause, much greater stakes, and there's much better rewards. So he says, why am I telling you to stay freed up? because I'm trying to be legalistic? Paul says, no, because Timothy, I want you to be able to please our commanding officer. You've been enlisted to please him. And the primary purpose of our lives, folks, is not living for earthly pleasure. It's not. We live in a culture where we're being indoctrinated with that idea. Life's about fun, recreation, entertainment, please yourself, get more stuff, prosperity. And and we're just indoctrinated with that life is about Be happy, please yourself. Be happy, please yourself. And the Bible says, no, please Jesus. Please the Lord. That your primary goal for living would be, how can I live in such a way that I keep my life in a a sense where I'm able to please the Lord? My life doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Jesus. And I live to please Jesus. And I'll tell you something. Ask yourself this morning, what are you fighting for? Because we're always fighting for something. What are you fighting for? Fight for something worthwhile. The Bible says, if you're going to fight, fight the good fight. Fight for what matters. Fight for the things of the Lord. Fight for families. Fight for children. Fight for biblical values. Fight for that which is good and righteous and healthy. Don't waste your time fighting for all that kind of stuff. And for some of you this morning, let me tell you something. You need to get a little bit more of of a fight in you. And particularly, let me encourage you, if you're a male in this room this morning, and I say male because you're a male or you're a female. And if you're a man this morning, you're called to be a spiritual leader. For years and years, we only sent sent men on the battlefields. Because men understood this is what we are called to do. We are men. We are men. And as men, spiritually, we are called to be leaders. And you cannot lead someone else where you have not gone yourself. And if you ever someday are going to effectively lead a woman and lead a family, you need to learn how to lead your own life first. So embrace the call of duty. Be a soldier. Be a soldier. Fight for the cause of Christ and what matters. Get a little spiritual determination you have a valuable cause to live and to fight for and to be that person. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare aren't carnal, they're mighty in God, able to bring down strongholds and arguments and every high thing that's exalting itself against the knowledge of God. And we need to bring into captivity that which is thoughts that are not obedient to the cause of Christ. And to realize we have the word of God, we have the spirit of God, we have prayer, and there is a battle that's raging and we can't ignore it. We need to engage in it by the grace of God. Let's stand together, let's pray.